I love that. Great is thy faithfulness. I was, I was thinking, I didn't get to come up here and share, but I, I wanted to share one thing in, in our life. <clears throat> My wife and I struggled with infertility for a few years. If you've ever been through that, it is, it's really tough. I remember there were, there were nights and we would lay in bed and just both of us broken and many nights of sobbing and uh, just crying and crying out to God and praying to the Lord. And that went on for a long time. And then one day, Brittany was reading her Bible and she was reading Hebrews and she came across Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And she, she read that verse, and um, we weren't reading it together. She just read it, and she looked over at me, and she said, I've got a peace. And I said, what do you mean you've got a peace? She said, I, I believe the Lord just told me that we will be able to have children. And I said, well, baby, that, that's great. I sure hope that is right. I sure hope that is, is true. And from that moment on, there was, I can't remember any more uh, sobbing, any more crying. She had, she had faith that God was going to bless us with children. Well, God is faithful. We are celebrating Mason Maddox, their seventh birthday uh, today. <clears throat> and it's amazing just to think about how God is so good to us. And God would be good if we didn't have these two boys, and I know that. God would be faithful if we didn't have these blessings. But in this way, Brittany told me that day, and God spoke to her, and I'm just reliving the, the faithfulness of God. I called them this morning because I left the house way before they woke up. And uh, so I called them around 8.30 or so, and Brittany gave them the phone. And I said, hey, boys, hey, Mason, Maddox, happy birthday. And Maddox said, Daddy, it is not my birthday yet. And I said, well, baby, what, what are you talking about? He said, my birthday is not until 9.30, and Bubba was born at 9.29, so <laughs> it is not my birthday yet. And then he said, Daddy, so how long is it till my birthday? And I did a little, little math real quick. I said, baby, about an hour, then it will be your birthday. So now I guess I could say they are, they are seven. Um, mm, but boy, that is, that's good for what God's done. Now we've got to segue into something different. That's kind of tough to do. John chapter 3, if you have your Bible, John chapter 3. The modern church is obsessed with numbers. We feel that our, our success is based upon the number of people that we can get to sit in a pew week after week. If you go in my office right now, you'll be able to find a stack of books, and they're on church growth. How do you grow a church? One is called, boom, church growth. It's like it's just going to explode. You do this, and there will be an explosion, and people will come from all over. Another one says, simple church. You go back to the simple things, and you will see growth in the church. I've got another book in my office. It is called The Secrets of Church Growth, as if there is this list of secrets. And if you know the secrets, everything's going to work out and be fine. We live in a time to where churches are very seeker-sensitive what I mean by that is we will do anything you want us to do if that means you will come. You like hip-hop music? We'll have a hip-hop service. You like hymns? We'll do hymns. You like contemporary music? We will do contemporary music. 
You like to go to church with those that ride Harleys? We'll have a church just for those who ride Harleys. You want to go to church with the cowboys? Then we will make a cowboy church. You want to go to church with just people in your age group? Then we'll focus just on this one demographic, and we'll do whatever it is that we can do to make you happy so that you can come back week after week. But I'm just reminded that is not the way the Lord laid it out for us. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural. In fact, there's many times in the Bible that we see the complete opposite. Now, you're in John chapter 3, I hope. Look back at John chapter 2, and let's set it up for us this morning. Look at John chapter 2, beginning verse 23. The Bible says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he is performing many miracles. He is showing his power, his power over demons, his power over disease, his power over death, his power over nature. And the Bible says that many people saw this and they began to believe in Jesus. They began to believe in Jesus, but what is interesting is the Bible says that Jesus did not believe in their believing. The Bible says they had faith, but yet Jesus did not have faith in their faith. Their belief, their faith, it was not enough to be saved. It was a starting point, but it was not enough to earn salvation. It wasn't enough. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe and they shudder. You see, I want you to see this morning that the Lord looks upon us and he sees past our ulterior motives. The Lord looks at me this morning and he sees the real me. He sees who I truly am. The Lord looks at you and he sees the real you, the true you. And the modern church may be obsessed with numbers, but Jesus never lowered the standard of salvation. And I believe that we can do, we can do more harm than good when we try to give people a false sense of security concerning their salvation. The Bible teaches there will be many people damned to hell for all of eternity because they have a false security of their salvation. The question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Now, I'm not asking you if you've come to church a lot. I don't care. I'm not asking you if you've ever walked down a church aisle. Doesn't matter. I'm not asking you if you've ever been through baptism waters because that cannot save you. I'm not asking you if your mama and daddy are Christians. And I'm not asking you if your grandpa was a pastor. None of those things matter when it comes to your salvation. I'm asking you this morning, do you know that you have been born again? Now let's look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be true? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Three things I want to show you from this passage this morning. The first one is the sinner's worry. The sinner's worry. We meet a man by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was no ordinary guy. The Bible says that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a very religious man. If you want to know about the Pharisees, Jesus tells us about them in Matthew 23. It's known as the seven woes to the Pharisees. He says things like this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He says, You will neither enter yourself nor allow those who would to go in. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel over land and sea to make a single proselyte. But when you make a proselyte, you turn him into twice the son of hell that you are. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you do everything you do so that people will see you. You love the place of honor, the place of respect. You do everything in life so that people will look your direction. He says, you tie up heavy loads and heavy burdens and you put them on people, but you yourself are not willing to lift a finger. He says, be careful of the Pharisees because they will teach a good lesson. They will tell you what to do, but don't follow their lifestyle because they speak it, but they do not live it. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because on the outside you look clean, but on the inside you look like dead man's bones. And so the Pharisees are this system of this false religion. They're no nearer the kingdom of God than a prostitute, but they would never believe that. In fact, they're probably further because they're so caught up in their religion, you would have to untangle them before they would be able to enter into the kingdom of God. We know that they are caught up on the law. And I'm not talking about the Mosaic Law. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. Every time a leader would verbalize a new law, they would write it down. And they ended up with this huge list of laws, probably around 600 of them. You may have heard some of these before. They had one law that said, ladies, you'll like this. You could not look into the mirror on a Sabbath. You couldn't look into a mirror because if you look into the mirror, you might see a gray hair popping up. 
And you might be tempted to pluck that gray hair. And if you do so, you will be working on the Sabbath and thus you will sin. So you better not look into a mirror on the Sabbath. They had another that if you had a, a cold or you had a sore throat, many times they would use vinegar for medicinal purposes. And they would take the vinegar and they would put it in their mouth and they would gargle it and then they would swallow it. And that was fine most days, but on the Sabbath, you could not gargle. You could take the vinegar and swallow it, but you could not gargle it because if you were to gargle it, you would be working on the Sabbath. They had one more that's interesting. If you woke up on the Sabbath and you go out and you find that one of your chickens had laid an egg, you can go out and take that egg and you could go and eat that egg only if you plan on killing the chicken the next morning. The chicken worked on the Sabbath, and so he must be punished, and so you must kill the chicken the next morning. We are talking about legalism. See, they understood what it was to be set apart for the kingdom of God. They understood lordship, and that is great. We miss that in our culture many, many times. But they believed that the way that one entered the kingdom of God was through entering and keeping the law. When you look through the Bible, you look through the Gospels, there's only one Pharisee I know of that came to Christ, and that is Nicodemus. You think of another one, Jesus found Paul on the road to Damascus, but it is not a common thing for a religious person to put their trust and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and verse 2 tells us that he was a ruler of the Jews. He's a very important man. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a scribe. He is a teacher of the law. He's an interpreter of the Old Testament. If you have a Bible question, this is the man you want to talk to. If you've got a biblical question and you want an answer, you want the truth, Nicodemus is the man you want to go to. He is smart, he is educated, he is successful, he is rich. This is a man that when he walks down the street, you acknowledge him. He's a man that when he walks down the street, everybody knows who he is. His reputation precedes him. He is a man that has done very well in life. Verse 2 says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, you have probably heard many sermons on Nicodemus. It's a very powerful story. And you have probably heard many reasons why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. I looked this last week through many commentaries, and there are pages and pages and pages written. But I want to tell you this morning the honest truth of what we know concerning that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And this is rich. I want to make sure you're awake and ready. Go back to sleep after this, okay? Here's what we know. When the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, what we know is that he did not come during the day. That's what we know. We know that he came by night. He did not come during the day. But we can speculate because I believe that the Lord put this in our word for a reason. John often uses analogies. He talks about the dark and the light. It could be that spiritually speaking, Nicodemus is in the darkness while Jesus is, of course, the light. 
We also know that this was the time of Passover. Now, Nicodemus is a uh, religious leader in the time. And so it could be that Nicodemus was busy. I mean, there's probably over 2 million Jews that have come into town. He's got so many places to be, so many things to do that he's just busy during the day. And the only time he can get to Jesus is at night. And on the other hand, Jesus is busy. Everywhere Jesus goes, people crowd up around him. People are always coming to Jesus. And so for Nicodemus to have a real conversation with Jesus, maybe he has to wait until nighttime. But I believe there's another reason. I believe that it is very likely that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he did not want the whole world to see him. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a man that had climbed this ladder in his day. Now, if you know much about the Gospels, you know that Jesus did not get along well with the religious leaders. We saw that in Matthew 23. For Nicodemus to come to Jesus, it was not going to do much good for his career. It was not going to do much good for his relationships. It was not going to do much good for his social life. For Nicodemus to come and be seen with Jesus was not going to be a good thing. And so in my mind, I picture Nicodemus coming up and he's maybe beside a building and he's waiting on Jesus to come by. And when, Nic- when Jesus comes by, he says, psst, psst, Jesus, come here, come here. And, and they find a spot that there's, there's not many people around. Nobody's looking. Nobody's listening to what they're saying. They, they find a private spot. And he's trying to have this meeting with Jesus in private. Why did he come? Why did he come to Jesus? Here's a man who's got it all in the eyes of the world. He's got the law. He's holy. He's pious. He's righteous. He's religious. He's rich. He's respected. He's got lots of friends. He's got everything you could want in life. But yet he still comes to Jesus. Do you know why I believe he comes to Jesus? There's still something missing. There's something missing. He's tried to fill this void. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a void. He's tried to fill this void with riches. He tried to fill this void with just religious work and religious effort. He's tried to fill this void with success and with the respect of others. But when he lays his head down at night, there's still something missing. There's something that he's lost. There's something that has not satisfied him. And so it leads him to find Jesus. The Bible says he finds Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He comes up, Rabbi. Now that, that's what people would call Nicodemus. And so he is putting Jesus at least on the same level that he's on. Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God. No one can do the things that that you do unless God's with him. That's obvious. I have heard, I have seen the signs that you are doing. This is not normal. This does not happen. There's not been a prophet in 400 years. This is incredible what you're doing. This is something new. Now, Whether or not he was the Messiah, that would still be in doubt. But certainly, Nicodemus thought he was a prophet of God. And so he comes up and he gives him 
a very sincere compliment. It sounds good, doesn't it? Teacher, rabbi, we know that you're from God. Look at the works that you're doing. And he's talking complimentary of Jesus. Listen, just because somebody talks well of Jesus, it doesn't mean they're saved. Just because somebody acknowledges that there's something special about Christ, that doesn't mean they're saved. Just because somebody has the right things to say, that's what we do in our culture. You ever see these surveys? The surveys say that 85% of America is Christian. Do you believe that? There's just no way. It just doesn't show it. There's no way. But we go through life and we believe that as long as somebody says, I'm a believer, somebody says, I believe in God, somebody says, I believe in Jesus, then they're okay in my books. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says we're to be fruit inspectors, right? We're to see Christ in the lives of people. And so he comes and he has the, the nice things to say. He has the right things to say. But he comes and he's worried about where he is in the kingdom. Now I want you to see the Savior's way. Already on point two. Did y'all catch that? We're moving. The Savior's way. Jesus responds in verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Did you notice in verse 3 it says that Jesus answered him? That's interesting because look back before that, where's the question? Do you see the question? There's no question. Rabbi, we know that you're from God for the works that you do. They are incredible. And then Jesus answered him. There's no question. Why did Jesus answer a statement? It was a statement. It wasn't a question. Do you know what this shows? It shows that Jesus is the true Messiah. Jesus is not answering the question of his mouth. Jesus is not answering the question on his lips. Jesus is answering the question on his heart. It was the question that was driving Nicodemus to come to Jesus. There was one thing on his mind. There was one thing on his heart. And it was, how do I get into the kingdom of God? How do I get into the kingdom of God? He was not wrapped up into all this religious effort for the fun of it. He wasn't just doing it to do it. He was keeping the law. He was maintaining the law. He was killing this chicken in order that he could enter into the kingdom of God. And so the question of his heart is, is, Lord, what do I have to do? Lord, how can I be sure? Lord, how can I know? And I just believe this. I believe there's some of us in this room this morning, and we have that same question. Same question on our heart. Now, we've come in these doors a number of times. You come in, maybe you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you're doing all the right stuff. You're going to a small group. You're giving money week after week. You're doing all the right stuff. But when you lay your head down at night, you still wonder about it. You still doubt it. And you're asking, Lord, Lord, what do I have to do to enter into the kingdom of God? He knows he's out of the kingdom. He has no peace. He has no joy. There's something missing. There's something that's not right. And so Jesus answers the question on his heart. 
And he says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus, you want to know what you've got to do? You must be born again. Now, in a Christian setting, we use that terminology, don't we? Born again, it could also be translated, you must be born from above. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born again, what do you mean? Nicodemus, I mean, you've got to start all over. All these years, all these feasts that you've been going to, all the laws, all the sacrifices, all the rituals, all the the tithing, everything you've been doing, and you've been doing it to get into the kingdom of God. But listen, Nicodemus, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not going to add up to your salvation. And I'm sure When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Jesus, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm a holy man. Lord, I am the religious man in this town. And I've been doing all these things. Let me tell you what I've been doing. But, Lord, there's probably one thing missing. And I just want you to tell me what that is. There's one more hoop that I need to jump through. There's one more step that I need to take. And so, Lord, would you just show me the one more step that I need to take in my life? And that's what he's thinking that he's going to hear. But what Jesus says is all the deeds of the law justify nobody. All your works will not justify you. Listen, it's true this morning, too. It does not matter how many times you come to church. doesn't matter how much money you give. doesn't matter how faithful you are. doesn't matter how many buses you drive, how many lessons you teach, how often you go to Awanas or serve in the youth ministry. None of that is going to justify you. And I believe this was tough for Nicodemus. It was a tough pill for him to swallow. He spent his whole life observing the law. And now God says, Nicodemus, you've got to start from the very beginning. You've got to start all over. Religion can be a curse. Religion can be a security blanket for some people who are caught up only in their religion. Nicodemus, all the religion in the world never got anybody close to God. But it can give you a false sense of security. In verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, he's using the same analogy that Jesus used. Nicodemus is, is no dummy. He knows what Jesus is doing. He knows what Jesus is saying. And so he uses the analogy and he says, but Jesus, how can I do that? Jesus, I am an old man. I've been been doing this for so long. I've been focused on works for so long. I've been doing all the right things for so long. People have seen me. They know what I have taught. They know what I've preached. How could I start all over? Now, there could be some in here today who feel the same way. The Lord's leading you. What do you need? You need to be born again. What's needed in your life, you need to be born again. But you say, wait a minute, Lord, I've been a member of this church for 15 years. I've been doing all this right stuff. I've been giving money. I've been a leader in this position and that position. People know me. People believe that I'm already saved. People believe I'm already right. What are they going to think if I walk down and I tell them that I need to be born again? It's just, I don't know if I can do it. 
I don't know if I can handle that. It's almost like it's, it's too hard, but then it's too easy. And sometimes it's too hard and it's too easy all at the very same time. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why does he use the terminology born again? Think about your life. What did you do for you to be born? Were you born because you were such a smart little baby? Is that why you were born? Were you born because you were such a looker as a child? Is that why you were born? Your birth had nothing to do with you. Your birth had to do with your mama and your daddy. That's what your birth had to do with. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not on what you have done. It's not on what you could do. It's not on the laws that you have kept. Nicodemus, this is by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so thirdly, we see the Spirit's work. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit. Now, what does he mean when he says water? Some people say he's talking about baptism. Nicodemus, you must be baptized. That's just not biblical. If you believe that you must be baptized to be saved, then you have cross-grained every biblical principle that teaches that salvation is by grace through faith. You are not saved through baptism. You should be baptized. You should be obedient to baptism. But your salvation is not dependent upon your baptism. Well, others will say, well, he's talking about a, a physical birth. We know that when a baby is born, we say the water is broken. And so maybe he's saying that, you know, to, to be saved, to be born again, first you must be born the first time. Which makes sense, but who does that not apply to? Right? I mean, who are the aliens that we're talking about here? It's not any, right? I mean, so it doesn't really apply. Of course, Nicodemus has been born the first time. And so what else do we see? What would Nicodemus have thought when he hears Jesus say, you must be born of water in the Spirit. Remember, Nicodemus is a man that knew his Bible, knew his Bible very well. I believe he would have went back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 25, listen to it closely. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will give you a new spirit. I will put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." He says, I will, I will, I will. I will do this. I will cleanse you with water. I will put a new heart within you. This is what God's going to do. And he's talking about regeneration, the regeneration of God. He's talking about the purification. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John 1.33 says, I baptize you with water, but somebody is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Nicodemus, what you need is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, you've got an old heart of stone in you right now. You need a new heart that only comes from God. Nicodemus, you've been walking in your way. What you need is to change all that and walk in the ways of God, and I will put that in you. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. 
In other words, Nicodemus, it's not what you're going to do, but it's what I'm going to do because I'm God and salvation comes through me. And then maybe he didn't quite get it. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, your flesh, you cannot do this. And that which is spirit is spirit. But the spirit of God can recreate you. Some of us in here, we've been trying to go through life and we've been trying to do it ourselves for so long. We're flesh. And we keep going, Lord, I've got this sin problem in my life. I know I need to get rid of it. And I'm going to try harder. And I'm going to do more. And I'm going to be more faithful. And the next week we do the same thing. Lord, I failed again, so this is what I'm going to do. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Let God work through you. It's the same thing he's saying to Nicodemus. It's not about what you can do, but it's about what the Lord can do through you and what the Lord can do in your life. All right, we're getting there now. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus probably had that look on his face. That look of surprise, that look of, man, this is, this is a new teaching. I don't know what to do with this. That look of just not quite sure what to do next. And so Jesus says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't be surprised. All, all the religious emotions, the feelings, the activities, they're pointless if they're not from God. He said, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you are confused because you can't see it. Nicodemus, you're confused because it's not adding up to you right now. But think about the wind. The wind comes and it, it blows in, and, and you don't see where it starts at, and you don't see where it ends. But you feel it. But you see its work around you. you. You know the presence is right there with you. It's Nicodemus, the same way with the Holy Spirit. You may, you may not see it, but it's working around you. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I still don't get it. I still don't understand. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Nicodemus, you're not just a teacher, you are the teacher. You are the leader. You are the Bible answer man, and you don't get it. Nicodemus, you have been blinded from reality, and you don't see what is so simple, and it's right in front of you. I wonder if that could be said of one of us in this room. How can it be? You just, you just don't get it. You just can't understand these things. I'm trying to make it so simple. It's not on you. It's, it's on being born again by grace and through faith. How do, you, how do you not get this? That's where he leaves in verse 10. You say, well, well, what does Nicodemus do? Does Nicodemus understand? Does Nicodemus realize? Does he drop to his knees and say, I'm ready to be born again? Is that what happens? We don't see that. That's the end of Nicodemus. That's all we see in this text. At that point, we assume that Nicodemus walked away. He walked away from the teaching. He, he walked away from the words that the Lord has just spoken to him. But we do see Nicodemus again. Let's close up with this. Look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Look at verse 45. This is about two years after their first meeting. 
This is about two years after they met at night. John chapter 7, verse 45. They have sent the guards out to seize Jesus. And verse 45 says, The officers then came to the chief priest and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? Why did you not bring Jesus back? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. I like that. The Pharisees answered him, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities, any of the Pharisees believed in him? They say, how have you been deceived? Look at your religious leaders. None of us have believed in Jesus. Why are you being deceived? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Uh, don't we need to go by the law? Our, our law would, would give him a hearing. Well, we can't just jump all over him like this. Nicodemus speaks up. Nicodemus takes a stand for Jesus. Nicodemus says, hold on a second. Wait a minute. This is not right. And we get a glimpse in the heart of Nicodemus. In the heart, he still remembers that night. He still remembers his conversation with Jesus. He still remembers the things that Jesus said. He says, wait a minute, this is not right. In verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. I'm sorry, wrong part, verse 38. After these things, okay, I'm sorry, I was right. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that the prophet, no prophet, arises from Galilee. When you color code stuff and you've got two reds, you read the wrong red sometimes. But here's what they're saying. They're making fun of him. They're saying, Nicodemus, do, do you believe in this? Nicodemus, are you telling me that you believe? Are you one of his followers? And they begin to make fun of what he just did. Now go to John 19. We see him one more time. John 19, verse 38. John 19, verse 38. We find Nicodemus after Jesus has been crucified. John 19, verse 38. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came, he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys and 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Jesus has died, he has been crucified, and we get this final picture of, of Joseph and Nicodemus, and they are tending to the body of the Savior. They have taken him down from the cross, and they are holding his body. And so the last picture we see of Nicodemus is that he is, he is holding the body of Christ. He's anointing the body of Christ. And that's where we leave Nicodemus. You say, what does it show? I believe it shows that sometime between chapter 3 and chapter 19, Nicodemus knew what it meant to be born again. 
Nicodemus gave his heart and his life and he surrendered it all to Jesus Christ. You say, well, what happened next? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Now, tradition tells us some interesting things. Tradition tells us that Nicodemus was the only person at the trial of Jesus to stand up and to defend him. Tradition tells us that Nicodemus was baptized by Peter and John. Tradition tells us that his confession of the Lord was so bold that he was thrown out of his office, he lost his position, he lost his fortune, he lost his money, he lost his wealth, and he was thrown out of Jerusalem by the Sanhedrin. Tradition tells us that for the rest of his life, he lived in deep poverty. Tradition tells a story that his daughter was living in Jerusalem, and with Nicodemus gone, she was very poor. And one day she was going through the, the dump, and she was trying to find something to eat. And a, a rabbi walked along. He saw her. He felt compassion. And he said, young woman, who are you? And she said, I am the daughter of Nicodemus. And he, he was pondered. He said, whatever happened to Nicodemus? And she said, my father became a follower of Jesus and was banished from the city. At that moment, tradition says that his face went to disgust. And he turned around, was unwilling to help, and left her in the trash dump. Tradition tells us that his, his testimony of Jesus was so bold that he died a martyr for Christ. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop preaching. He wouldn't stop talking about Jesus until a mob came in on him and beat him to death. I believe Nicodemus is a man who lost everything in this world so that he can have everything in the next. And I just wonder, what about you? I want to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, and I want you to think about it in your life. There's one question, one question for you this morning. The question is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you been born from above. I'm not asking about all the good things you've done in life. I'm not asking about all the church services that you have been a part of. Have you been born again? You say, well, well no, but I've, I've been a part of this church so long, it, it doesn't matter. People think that I've been born again. It, it doesn't matter. Have you been born again? And the way you honestly answer that question is the most important thing you will do in your entire life. You may be here this morning and you may say, I'm a lot like Nicodemus. I understand what's going through Nicodemus's mind. I understand what's going through the heart of Nicodemus. And now you've got you've to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to be be faithful to the call if the Spirit's leading you. If the Spirit is leading you to be born again, are you going to answer that call? Or could it be that you're going to walk away? Nicodemus walked away. That's what the Scripture tells us. Thankfully, he had another chance. I don't know if you'll have another chance. You might, but you might not. This is your opportunity. You say, I, I've doubted my, my salvation for so long. You don't have to doubt it any longer if the Spirit's leading you. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the way we can learn from your word. God, learn from Nicodemus 
And we thank you for his testimony. Thank you for a man that that found out what it was to be born again. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who's not sure of their salvation. Anyone that you're leading, your Holy Spirit is drawing to salvation. I pray that today will be the day. Lord, I pray for others. I pray that we will honor you with our life. I pray for those who are visiting, they're looking for a church home. God, if you lead them, I pray you'll send them our way. Lord, I pray your will will be done during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.